Hey, what's up? This is Trey Pierce, audio engineer, digital director, director of financial planning and analysis, senior creative director of AR, program director, morning show host, and you're listening to the Springboard, 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 Springboard Music Podcast. If you're an artist, try to get your own plane in the air, you know, write your own songs. And if you get your own plane in the air, and then here comes a label to strap jet engines onto your plane. If you're not well balanced, then your plane's going to disintegrate the second that they light those jet engines. Our guest today is none other than Scott Frickle. He is the founder and president of Brickhouse Entertainment. He has been portrayed by Trace Adkins in the film I Can Only Imagine and released the book, The Business Behind the Song. It's essentially the Springboard Music Podcast in book form. I would highly recommend grabbing yourself a copy after listening to this interview. I was really impressed and continue to be impressed in the book of not just bringing up CCM examples, you were talking about Taylor Swift and Lord and bringing in all of these pop culture references. Is that something that you just knew off the top of your head or somebody suggested you should throw in there? Or how do you keep up with all the industry news if that's all organic? I am envious. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been doing it for 30 something years, right? So, um, some of it's, you know, new and fresh and some of it's been with me for, for a long time. Um, I think, uh, some, some, sometimes I'll keep up with, uh, with, you know, articles and magazines and things like that. Um, the, the one thing that I probably read more than anything is Polestar, which is the, um, kind of the concert business side of the music business. It's, uh, I would say a lot of like promoters, a lot of festival buyers managers, booking agents, we all subscribe to that. And there's articles in there. There's quotes in there. Um, it, it's a lot about show information, you know, how, how much our ticket selling, um, you know, who, who did what and what venue, you know, the week before, who did the highest selling show That's the week amazing. before. And it's, it's weekly. If you hadn't seen it, you need to check it out. It's I haven't. I do need Star. to check that out. I get a lot of my information from there. That's incredible. I've never heard of it. And uh, now that might be something I write off. <laughs> should be. Yeah, it should be. I mean, be. I get a weekly, you know, it's a weekly rag. And so I get it every week. And, and uh, I, I usually have somebody go through it and, and earmark it, you know, with, with our artists or, you know, things that are CCM related. And, uh, and that way I can flip through it quicker. But, man, I'll, I'll, spend, I'll spend more than one would think on that magazine. That's awesome. I, I think that that is something, whether you're in the industry or want to be in the industry, that's a way to build up your dictionary, your encyclopedia of where to go, what's happening, who to know, all of that stuff. Yeah. Every show, it lists every show that was like in the very back, it'll have domestic shows and then international shows. And it'll, it'll, it's just the biggest to the smallest. Like it starts with the Taylor Swift you know, sold out the stadium two days in a row and the numbers and the ticket prices and the gross and, you know, but it also lists the manager, it lists the opening acts, it lists the booking agent and, uh, and, and the label. And then it'll go all like in order all the way down to some small club that sold 23 tickets and grossed $512, you know, and, and you can, you can watch artists, you know, go up and down during their career. And that's a, a great a great resource for a festival whenever they're trying to decide who to bring in. Totally. You know, a great resource for a headlining act whenever they're trying to decide who to take as a as a support act or an opening opening act. So it's um I mean the good part about it is it, it you know those numbers don't lie. The bad part about it is if you're trying to create a story that the numbers <laughs> don't more lie. Story than the numbers <laughs> have, are proving. You know the numbers don't lie. So. It's, yep. If you're trying to spin a little bit of marketing, it could yep. be tricky. Somebody can fact yep. check that. Yep. Um, I want to talk, I want to start off. I know we could back end this conversation with the book, but I want to front end the conversation of okay. the book, right. the business behind the song. We were talking about how this is literally the springboard music podcast in a book, we had the same idea, um, which is so serendipitous and so cool. It's incredible. I feel like 
feel like I kind of know you, even just being 150 pages in. We'll see. Big, big statement. Um, but my point being, you make yourself feel really accessible mm. and really transparent. And I don't feel like you have these walls up or, oh, somebody's going to be upset if I, if I make this point. I feel like you really had it in the reader's best interest. Um, and what I really love is at the end of each chapter, you talk about jobs pertaining to the role you just discussed. And I so wish I had a resource like that. Um, <laughs> you too? That's why I wrote it. Like, I mean, it took me six years after I got to town to understand how everything worked together and what does a producer do? And what's a distribution company and how does publishing work? And when does the PR team kick in? And you know, it, it took me, it took me about, you know, five to five, five to 10 years to master. I mean, they say it takes 10 years to master anything. right? So I would say, you know, around the six year mark, everything started clicking, but I mean, I, I also put a glossary in the book just to help with terms and things like that. I loved I that. Um, real quick on the, on the um, list of jobs in that mm -hmm. area at the end of each chapter. So whenever we were kind of done and we were wrapping it up and we're like, what, what's the title going to be for the book? Like, let's, let's think about that. So we spent a, spent a session and we were kind of kicking around some ideas and I threw out, let's, let's call it, let's, let's name it the 182 jobs in the music business. And, you know, we all kind of laughed, you know, cause that number seemed pretty high. And, um, we kept going with other, other names and, one of my staff would, you know, kind of started going through and, and, and counting them up. And at the end he goes, there's exactly 182 jobs that you list in the music. No, field. did you know that? Uh -uh. I had no clue. I was just, <laughs> I was actually throwing out a number that I thought was like double, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, some big old number. And I don't know if it's still that because we've edited it and, you know, changed some things a little bit in the end, but yeah, it was pretty funny. It was a pretty funny moment for sure. Um, I never want to play against you in one of those, like, guess how many M&Ms are in the jar. Right. I never want to be up against we'll Scott Brickle ever. <laughs> That's funny. That is nuts. So how long have you been working on this book? Well, um, I started it as, I mean, it, it the whole thing kind of started as a, a presentation to potential artists who, you know, I'll get a call from a friend or a promoter buddy. And he's like, Hey, I got this high schooler or, you know, these parents think that they're kid and, you know, would you mind meeting with them? And so I kind of just, I just was doing the same talk over and over again. I've done the talk, you know, got to be close to a thousand times, if not more. And I, uh, I started doing it to the point where I was, I was, you know, getting bored with myself doing the talk. Cause I was just saying the same thing. And so I was like, man, I, I'm, I remember a couple times forgetting some key points, you know, in the talk. And so I put it together in a presentation form um, with the help of uh, Prezi.com. And so yeah. I, I put a Prezi together and, you know, just kept doing the talk. But it gave dad something to hold and look at and take notes on and, you know, ask questions about. And I probably did the Prezi 15 years ago. What? And yeah, it's been a long time. And it's wow. changed over the years. You know, I've tweaked it and um, I feel like it's gotten better over the years, you know, just by, you know, me doing the talk over and over. But um, David Nasser heard about my Prezi and David was at Liberty at the time. And he had a group of like 70 students that were either scholarship or partial scholarship. And they were they were handling all of his worship whenever he did, you know, his his worship, uh, his worship nights on Wednesday nights. And he also they also handled the music for his convocation events that are twice a week, but it wasn't just musicians and singers. It was also production staff, graphic designers, like, you know, more than just artists or musicians or singers. And so he's like, man, I really want you to come and give your Prezi to my, to my group of students. And I said, man, I'd love to. So went up there, did about an hour talk afterwards. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break. He gave me like a night slot, you know, like their weekly night, Thursday night slot or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I said, I'm done. If you guys you know need to go study for a test or go get dinner or whatever. I said, but I'm going to go to the bathroom and get, get a bottle of water and I'll come back and do Q and a or tell some stories. Cause you know, I'm, you know, you're not getting a, a flight out of Lynchburg after no. you know, you're there. You're there till the so morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm there till the morning. 
And all 70 of the students stayed, which I thought was a Nasser move, you know, like he made them stay. But as, as we got into the Q&A, um, I realized, man, these, these students are hungry for this information. And it's really, it really is going to help them. And I, I, was, I, I did about a two-and-a-half, three-hour Q&A wow. on top of the hour presentation. And they were real questions. You know, they were asking real questions, you know, from the Prezi or things that, you know, kind of the Prezi had spurred for them to kind of think about or ask. And I walked away from there going, man, I think I need to turn this into a book. And, um, that was November of 2019 and four or five months later, we're all sitting around doing nothing. And I just said, well, I guess this is my time to do the book. And I didn't, I didn't let my staff go. I didn't, you know, throttle anybody's salary. I just was trusting that we were going to get through this. And so we just started working on the book as a staff Wow. And, um, got together with forefront publishing and they helped me find a ghostwriter and, and, um, you know, they, he, he kind of took my Prezi. He, you know, I went through and typed out all, everything I could for each section of the book. And then, you know, we got together, I told him a bunch of stories. So he kind of pieced it together, but definitely made it, you know, you said I'm, I, it, it's approachable. Like, that's what I want it to be. Like, I want this information to, you know, to be given to the next generation to help them understand, you know, really what it is and, and help them get to the job that they want sooner. You know, a lot of people come to town and they'll do an internship or they'll start working at a label and then, you know, they get a, a year or so into the label and then they're like, I think I want to work, you know, I want to work as a producer or for a producer, or I think I want to be on the road or someone will start on the road and they're like, I think I want to work at a label or work at a booking agency. And I just think this will help people understand where they, where they might fit in a little bit sooner than they would have spending a year or two, you know, working in the business and, you know, that just helps everybody, you know, that helps the company that, that they start off at, at so they don't spend a year or two investing in them to, you know, potentially be a long-term employee, but, you know, it just helps everybody. It helps, you know, people get to where they're, where they're calling and where their gifts are sooner. So that's definitely, uh, that was the heart behind it. And that's why I wanted to do it and, you know, wrote it for myself. And, uh, also kind of in the back of my head, my mom, who's no longer with us, she, um, you know, she always talked about writing a book and she never got around to it. So I kind of wrote it for her, you know, with her in mind mm. as well. So That's so it was, special. It was definitely multiple, multiple reasons. Yeah. It's extra special knowing that that was a dream of hers and you got to fulfill it for her, which is amazing. Yeah. I love how you said it helps people get to the job that they want sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been my mission too. I, my background is in radio. I did not go to a music business school. I did not study music business, but I knew I wanted to do it. Just so happened that the school I was called to didn't have a music business program. Oh wow! So I was like, okay, God, what are you doing? This makes no sense. It was right. in the middle of the cornfields in Indiana, at Taylor University. My dad just kept saying, God knows your address. God knows your address. That's a good one. And yeah, it's, it, it sounded, you know, I would roll my eyes every time he said it then. Sure. But that being said, um, when really radio found me, I fell in love with it. And it's like, man, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know to pursue it. Had I, I mean, WBCL is in conjunction with T Taylor University. I could have been interning there while I was at Taylor and who knows. Um, so I think that it's really important to kind of take the um, veil off of the jobs and show people this is what it really is because mm -hmm. most people have a very skewed, uh, misinformed idea of what A&R is. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, hey, let's let's actually practically look at what you want to do. And if you have the skill set for it, is it something you even want to do? And then let's talk about how to get there and how to utilize where you are now to jumpstart getting there. I had a guy come to me. So my son played football for Liberty and he called me one day and he goes, Hey, I've got this friend. He goes, you met him. And I kind of, I vaguely remember meeting him. You know, he goes, Hey, do you have a couple minutes to spend talking to this guy about the music business. And I was like, maybe we'll see. So I went up for a football game and um, it was about halftime. And I called his number and I said, can you meet after the football game at, you know, the place I was staying? And he said, sure. So I went through the Prezi with him. Um, he, he, he left that meeting, called his dad, changed his major 
the music business, thought thought he meant thought he's supposed to be a producer, but then called me a year later and was like, no, I, I'm supposed to be a manager. And Whoa. so now he, now he works for me. No way. <laughs> Most people know that managing is the heaviest, busiest, one of the heaviest, busiest jobs in the industry. You are a counselor. You are a shoulder to cry on. You are in the weeds of every single project with every single partner. But when your wife was pregnant, that was when you decided, hey, I think I want to start my own management company for for balance, really, and like more of a say in your family life. Talk to me about your rationale there. Because to me, I was like, managing, I wouldn't do that now with no kids. (laughs) You know, when, when God calls you to do something like you just, I had just by that point in my life learned to answer the call sooner than later. And, you know, I I just went to my wife and I I said, I think I'm supposed to do this. And she goes, I think you are too. And I, I knew like in the back of my mind, I knew she was going to say yes, but there was still this twinge of, I shouldn't even ask because, you know, we just found out we're pregnant, right. With our first. And that's whenever you need to be locking into stability. And if you're going to get a job, like get a job with a company that, you know, has some health benefits and things totally. like that. And and she's just like, yeah, I think you're supposed to. And I mean, it wasn't, you know, we, we call those days the salad days because there wasn't, you know, wasn't a lot of eating out, you know, during, during that time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if the Lord calls you to do it, you know, the sooner you say yes, the better. And and it was, uh, you know, she was, she was definitely on board and, and I mean, she taught me a lot, you know, she's like, if God calls you to do it, like there's no sense in us even, you know, trying anything else. And, you know, she came to me, what, 11 years ago and said, I think I'm supposed to get my master's. And I was like, go, you know, let's, let's do it. And so she got that. It took her, you know, maybe a year or two. And then after she got oh, it, she got that, she's like, I think I'm supposed to get my doctorate. And I was like, I, w- I wondered when you were going to say it. because Lord told me a little while ago, but I was just waiting for, <laughs> for you to come around. And she's like, oh yeah. Okay. So let's, so, you know, a year ago, March, she got her, she got her doctorate. Wow. So when you decided to start up Brickhouse Entertainment, what was the initial vision and did it become that or did it change over time? Um, I don't, I didn't have like a big vision. I just knew I was, I was supposed to start brick house and, and help artists and serve artists. Uh, I think I've gotten better at how I serve artists and, you know, I think I've gotten better boundaries. You know, when I first started working, you know, I was with audio adrenaline and, I was doing everything. I was picking up laundry. I was, you know, crawling through doggy doors to feed Oof. dogs. I was, you know, Oof. doing, all, you know, <laughs> like when they go on vacation or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll swing by and feed the dogs. And, you know, I've learned to kind of leave, leave all that stuff to, you know, to the families to figure out on their own. But, um, you know, my, my goal and, and my calling all along has been to serve, you know, and I, I've kind of taken that to the motto of protect and serve. Um, and so, you know, it was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. I need to, I need to figure out who it is. But uh, he said, if you're called to serve, never stoop to be a king. And I was, you know, I've, 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 that's, that's rung in my head, you know, hundreds and thousands of times of, hey, if this is what I'm called to do, then do it, do it with as much joy as you can. You know, there, some days it's great to do what I do. And some days it's a J-O-B, you know, straight mm-hmm. job. And, um, uh, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's what I'm called to do. It's what I enjoy doing. I, I love helping artists, you know, accomplish some of the things that, that they feel like God's called them to do. And, um, uh, but when I started Brickhouse, it was simply like, I just want to be a place for artists to uh, be able to come and, and, uh, you know, get, get a manager that is, uh, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I've got a good head on my shoulders. I feel like I'm a straight, straight talker. Like I've been around managers that are a little bit more like, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the word yes, men, you know, whatever the artists want to do is a great idea. Well, I'm, I'm not that I'll help the artist achieve whatever ideas we kind of come up with together. And initially I'll say, yeah, let's check into it. 
but you know, after we check into it a little bit, I'm, I'm not afraid to say, I don't think that's the, the right direction to go. So, um, you know, I feel like a, as a manager, you need to be able to, to kind of push back and, and, and deal with conflict in a timely fashion. And that's something that I've learned is a, as a necessary evil, so to speak. I don't love conflict, but I, I've, I've learned the sooner I, I, I jump in and deal with it, the, the better it's going to be. And the, and the sooner we can get onto the things that we need to deal with. Yeah, really, the smaller the conflict it will become, the quicker exactly. you address it. You know, let's put it all on the table. And it's it's not it's not a problem. Like it's just something to talk about and let's put it on the table and figure it out. And and sometimes it's misunderstanding, sometimes it's direct conflict, sometimes it's you know, you just don't agree, but um, you know, let's just talk about it and and either agree to disagree or, you know, agree to to, you know, make a decision that allows us to move forward in one way or another. But I just feel like that those are the gifts that God gave me to really help artists and serve artists and, um, you know, not be afraid to, to take on the weight of a big tour and, you know, the financial burdens that, 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 that brings, um, at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm fine to go in and have a conversation with a label or a booking agency and, you know, let's get down to brass tacks. Like, you know, uh, I, I can deal with the truth. I can deal with reality you know, as long as you can deal with reality, if, if we meet certain benchmarks, then, you know, then we need to up the game and we need to spend more marketing dollars and we need to, you know, go to bigger venues or, you know, all those kind of things. So, um, I'm always, I'm always the kind of guy that'll bet on me and my artist. So I'm not afraid to, to, to risk it and, and prove that, you know, the ideas that we have do work. So my, my, my vision for Brickhouse was just, you know, Kind of like the name says, be a solid foundation for for artists to uh, house their, you know, some of their ideas. And you know, I, I definitely, you know, protect and serve isn't just like them physically, but also like in the public's eye. Like I'm always the bad guy, right? You know, if you call and you want the artist to go do some sort of charity event, you know, it's not it's not them saying no; it's me say that says no because you can be mad at me. I don't want you mad at my artist, right? So, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I want, I want Brickhouse to be that for my artists as well. Like I want them to have a great reputation and everybody to love them regardless of how mean and, 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 you know, disagreeing I am as a, as a manager. So. I'm curious when you started, what qualified you to be a manager or, was there any sort of imposter syndrome when you approached, I think Mercy Me was your first band that you signed and then Audio Adrenaline. Was there any imposter syndrome of like, yeah, I can totally do this. Let's do it. I got to get them on board and I'll figure it out. <laughs> I would say I've had more imposter syndrome with writing the book than I did back, back when I started my management company. Really? Yeah. You're not, I mean, that makes sense. You're not an author. Right. I'm not an author. Well, you are I don't now. read books. I don't, you know, my mom's the teacher. My wife's the teacher. My wife's the one with the doctorate. My sister's a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. My grandma was a teacher. Wow. Um, but I'm just, I'm just not. And so I, I definitely, there, there were moments where I was writing the book that I was like, no one's going to care what I have to say, especially when I'm, when I'm talking about like things that aren't directly in my field, like management or, or artist, or, you know, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm really good at, you know, touring. So tour the touring side of things, working with promoters and booking agents, but like, you know, talking about what labels do, like I'm not a label. I've never been a label, but you've worked uh, but with I, one closely. I, I've worked with a bunch. And so, you know, but, but there were definitely moments that I was like, Oh gosh, you know, no one, no one's going to care. So, but when I first started, like I had, I had been on the road so much before I even knew that this job existed because I was helping a friend from grade school that, you know, I ended up bumping into in high school and just started traveling around with him on weekends and spring break and summer break. And, you know, and, and we were, we were doing youth group events and I was in the youth group at my church that, you know, we would have events. I've been, I had been going to church my whole life. So I felt like it was really in my wheelhouse. Like, yeah, having an artist in, I know what the, the youth pastor is expecting. I know kind of what the youth are thinking. Cause I still was a youth for the most part through most of those years. And even, you know, when I went to Baylor, like I was still right in the middle of Christendom, you know, I was mm -hmm. you know, doing, doing college at a Baptist university and, 
And so whenever I'd go out and, and, and road, you know, be on the road with this artist, like I was driving, setting up, tearing down, but I was working with the church um, and the local, you know, youth group or, or youth pastor. And, you know, the youth group was usually the volunteers helping us load in, you know, so I, I could have full on conversations like, you know, what, what are you guys studying as a youth group right now? Or, you know, have you done this study, you know, that was came out a couple of years ago or, you know, so it was all just kind of in my wheelhouse. I had no idea that I was doing about six years of internship and training for what was going to be my life's work. And so by the time it kind of, I kind of landed in Nashville, um, you know, that was a fairly easy transition because I was still working for the management company that managed Brian, who I'd been on the road with. And I was helping them during the week and Brian on the weekends. And, uh, you know, then after working there for about two and a half years, I just started working with true artists who managed Toby Mac and audio mm -hmm. adrenaline. And so, you know, being audio adrenaline's day to day, you know, that was a natural transition. And, and so, you know, I had the relationship with audio adrenaline whenever I started brick house and, and, you know, they, they came with me from true artist and there was a transition period in there where they needed to pay out their sunset clause and all that with, with true artists. But, and, you know, like I said, those were the salad days, um, yeah. but we got through them. And, you know, the second artist I signed was, uh, you know, mercy me. And the third artist was Switchfoot, And, you know, that's a pretty good, pretty good way to start, but. Iconic. Those are <laughs> legends. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, it was a fun, fun start. And, you know, I, I've, I've never had anybody like question me as, as far as, you know, you don't know, or you're not old enough. Cause I'm six, five, you know, I've always, I've always been a, a tall guy and usually, you know, you, you don't, you don't argue much with the tall guy. And, you know, I, I've learned how to use the, the low voice and the stare and, <laughs> you know, things like that over the years. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, and the, the thing of it is, is I've seldom had to use it for real. You know, I've used it as a joke more than anything, but, um, you know, just, always trying to set up deals where everybody walks away a, a, a little bit of a winner, at least a little bit of a winner to where we can all do this another day. Obviously, you know, as a manager, I'm trying to support my artist and, and therefore, you know, have, have the, have things swing toward my artist's favor, but I also don't like leaving promoters hanging where they lose money on a show. Uh, you know, I, I want fans to have a good experience. I don't want anybody leaving the show, you know, super upset about anything. So, you know, you, you give away a t-shirt here or there, you know, you split a loss with a promoter here or there. And, um, you know, you, you learn as you go, not only as a manager, but you help your artists learn. I mean, one of the things I've always wanted to do is, and I always try to do is, uh, as I'm working with an artist is make sure they understand the, the reasons that we're making the decisions we're making, you know, and, and I'll, I'll probably talk to them more just cause I want them to understand. I want them to be educated and, and, and know that, you know, we're making this decision with the information we have right now. Now, tomorrow, some information might change, you know, and if we can adjust our decision based on new information, great. If we can't and we're locked into a decision, then we're locked in. And, you know, sometimes information changes and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes when it changes, it changes in our favor. Sometimes it changes, uh, you know, uh, against our favor. So, um, but, you know, I've made mistakes, you know, and, and, and my artists have been right there with me. And, and we, uh, you know, we get through those mistakes. We learn from them. We move on. And, um you know, I think by helping my artists understand the business, I think whenever mistakes are made, they're more, you know, gracious and forgiving and, and things like that. So, um, I'm curious now when I was preparing for this interview, I was, I was in a conundrum because we could talk about the angle of how does somebody become a manager? And then we could also talk about the angle of an artist needing a manager and that relationship. Um, okay. So some of the questions I have are going to be a little intermixed because okay. I think that people who listen, they might be artists who are pursuing a career and kind of like your friend, they fall into artist management instead of becoming an artist themselves. So it could be beneficial on both ends. Okay. 
Um, Mercy Me, you have had signed to you the entire duration of their career. Incredible artist to have sought out and to have gotten with Brickhouse Entertainment. What do you look for in an artist when deciding whether or not to sign them? Um, well, I mean, they've got to be talented. They've got to, you know, I mean, I prefer an artist that can write songs, you know, it's artists that aren't just, aren't just sitting around waiting for people to pitch them songs. Um, but they got to be able to sing. They got to have, you know, some drive and desire, but I was on a, a podcast not too long ago with Jonathan Placluda and he asked, he said, what's the number one thing? I said, you got to be a good hang. Totally. You just got to be a good I hang. I underline that time and time again in your book, because I'm pretty sure we've had probably 20 guests so far. Every single person has said something along the lines of you have to be a good hang. So now Every I'm going to take it a little step further. How do you know if you're a good hang and how can you work on your hang? Yeah. So I think it's important to care about everyone that's in the room. And part of being a good hang is how can you help them? And if you run every, everything that you say uh, while you're with people, everything that you do while you're with people through the filter of how can I help them? And, you know, I use the words, you know, serve or be a servant heart or things like that. I mean, it, it's not necessarily that. It's just, you know, maybe just sitting around talking about their career or what they want to do. Or maybe there's maybe there's somebody you know that, that they need to meet. Like maybe there's a, a writer or another artist or a, a, a booking agent or a venue that you think they could play at. Like, you know, be interested enough in other people that you're willing to invest in their career a little bit because no one cares about your career until they think that you care about their career. And that's a, that's sort of a practical way to be a good hang. You take the opposite of that and you got a, you know, you got somebody that's just constantly trying to, Hey, let's listen to this song. Hey, all right. I wrote this song last week. Hey, I sent you this song two weeks ago. Did you listen to it yet? You know, being annoying, like it's all about them. It's like, you know, if, if like, let's say you and I are writing a song and I never like any of your lines. I only, I, it only prompts me to come up with a, a different line and, and never acknowledging that some of your lines are good, you know, or, or whatever. And so, you know, I would say being a bad hang is just constantly self-promoting, constantly thinking, you know, how can we turn this into it being about me? You know, the, the me, me, I, I, you know, syndrome. Um, what was the, maybe a Toby Keith song or something? Yeah, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about number one, my, me, my. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just, you know, I, I crack up when I hear it because so many people in in this town, you know, that's that's what they want to do. It's just like me, 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 more me, a lot of me. Here's pictures of me. Here's songs of me. Here's the here's my touring schedule. Here's how good I can play. Here's how good I can sing. And it's just like, oh, give me a break, you know. But if you just sit around and talk about everybody else that's in the room and what they got going on and where they're from and you know learn about people and you know honestly, kind of makes you appear people. more interesting because you're a little bit more elusive. It's like, yeah. well, what about you? Now I'm curious about you. You're, exactly. you're kind of quiet about yourself. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I'll shut people down all the time. I'm like, yeah, we're not to me yet. Let's keep going about you. You mm -hmm. know, so that's, uh, but I, I mean, I, some of that is just genuinely, like I've been doing this long enough. I want to know where people are from and, and you know, what, what they're about. But yeah, I mean, drop off donuts to people that you know are getting together for a meeting or a right, right session. And don't, don't come in and drop off donuts and try to be a part of the right session. Drop off donuts and go, Hope this helps you all come up with an amazing song. Can't wait to hear it. Peace out. So like, good. Drop the mic and leave. So good. Yep. You know? Yep. Don't use it as a vessel into something else. Just use it as a, a little notch in your relational bank. Way of thinking about you. I'm just thinking about you, you know? Totally. Just thinking about you. What is a good way for somebody to get noticed by a manager? Should they 
look up Scott Brickle, Brickhouse Entertainment, send out an email to you with some demos, lit hyper lit. Like, do, do y'all look at that? Does that matter? Um, anything that comes in cold is probably not going to make it to me. It's going to make it, you know, to maybe some of my staff. But the problem with that is that that whole, you know, email stuff is so backed up. There's so much stuff in there. And um, you're usually going to make it, you're usually going to make it to me by someone introducing you to me. Uh, and honestly, the ones that I pay attention to the most are when an A&R guy calls. And he goes, hey, totally. I, we're meeting with this artist. We've been talking to this artist. Um, you know, we're thinking about signing them. You know, they they don't have a manager yet. Would love for you to meet with them. Now, a label's probably going to do that right after the artist inks the paper, inks the contract with the label because they don't want me to jump in and try to change the deal or any of that kind of stuff. So once the, you know, once there's at least a production deal in place or some sort of paperwork done, then then they try to help the artist find a, a manager. And so those are the ones that I pay attention to probably the most. Uh, other than that, I get calls all the time. I get emails, I get text messages, I get links sent to me and I'll click on them, you know, while I'm, you know, driving down the road or, or wait for my plane or whatever. And usually nine times out of 10, they're, they're really good. And the problem with being really good is Nashville is a sea of really good. It's an ocean full of really good. And you, you got to somehow stand out. You got to be unique in some way. And whether that's you're an amazing vocalist or you, you're, you've got a, a sense of humor to you or you've got some unique sound in your voice, or you, you're just, you know, your, your, your lyrics are next level. Like you've overthought the lyrics to the point where you're like, wow, that was creative. You know, like, so there's gotta be something that moves the needle other than you're really good. Um, you know, you send me a really good version of you singing the national anthem and I'll be like, okay, they can sing the national anthem. They're a really good singer. Next, right. you know, but if you send me a really good version of you singing the national anthem and you put a unique spin to it and a little bit of a different, no, no, don't jack with the national anthem, but you can, you can throw an arrangement on it. That's, you know, got a little flair, you know, to who you are or, or take any cover song and, and throw some unique flair or, you know, something like that on there and, you know, get my attention other than just being really good. Um, you know, most of the artists that I've worked with, um, are really good front men. And, and I mean, well, let me, let me rephrase that. Cause I just said, if you're really good there, there's a sea of really good. So they're amazing front men and, or women. And they, you know, just have this unique ability to co connect with the crowd. And sometimes they do that through humor. Like Bart is an, you know, he's hilarious. You know, the lead singer Mercy me. He, if you go to one of their shows, you'll, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that was funny. But <laughs> he also is very serious. Like, you know, he, he, he gets you in the palm of his hands by being funny. And then, you know, he'll throw some, some nuggets of wisdom or truth on you. And you're, you're just, you're so, you know, he's got, you know, he's got you. Um, Phil Wickham gets you in the palm of his hands by his talent. Like that mm -hmm. dude can flat out, you know, lead you to the throne room. And, you know, you, you feel like he's an angel singing to you, like legitimate angel. No, you really do. Really do. You right? really do. And, you know, Micah Tyler is an amazing singer. He's an amazing vocalist. He's an amazing lyricist. He's He's got a great sense of humor. And I actually signed Micah before I ever heard him sing. I just met okay. with him. Yeah, why? I just knew I, I was going to help That's him. risky. It's <laughs> a little risky, right? But... <laughs> You know, to my defense, um, Phil's road manager had already kind of told me the guy's got, you know, he's got pipes, right? So I just went with that. But when I met with him, I was just like, man, I want to help you regardless of whether, you know, we get you a record deal or whatever. And, you know, luckily we were able to get him a record deal in the next like three or four months. So, um, yeah, but just, you know, you got to have something other than, you got, 
you got to have a uniqueness about you that makes you stand out and and in a in a pretty significant way fairly quickly like you got 8 seconds is what i kind of tell people you got about 8 seconds to capture my attention because i know that's what the label's saying and i know that's what the fans are doing like you got to capture our attention as as fans in about 8 seconds or we're hitting the neck you know the button to move on 100% Next, 100% that's really great advice. I'm so glad you said all of that, especially about the sea. Nashville's a sea of really good. So, so I'm, I would almost be curious to say like, make it really big in your smaller town. That's not Nashville. And then come into the sea of really good and make connections there because the music industry is a traveling business. They're going to be in all your States. You're going to yep. be able to make connections with people. Yep. That's a great word. I I got contacted by a, a singer that has been working in Orlando, and she I, she's like, well, I'm thinking about coming to Nashville, and I was like, okay, what are you doing in Orlando? And she's like, well, I got this kind of as a regular gig, and I got this as a regular gig, and this is a regular gig. And I said, well, you know, she's singing an old red like three times a week right now in Orlando. Wow. And I said, well, they got an old red here, and she goes, yeah, but they don't pay like they do in Orlando because there's so many people in Nashville that'll come into old red just to get the gig, you know, just to have a good place to play. And so she couldn't come here and get that same money, you know, playing at old red here in Nashville. So, and I get it. Like I'm, I don't, I don't blame them. I'm not mad at them. You know, it's just, it's just the economics of being in Nashville versus being in Orlando. And so I'm like, well, then you need to stay in Orlando because you're right. We travel, we'll find you. Yeah. And you said, you said, get really good where you're at and then come to Nashville. But I just say, get really good where you're at and have Nashville come find you. Ooh, I like that. Look at us refining each other at what we're saying. <laughs> so I'm curious for somebody who has been approached by managers, what is, what are some red flags? You have a manager approaching you. They do blank. Let's investigate a little bit. Warning sign goes up. You know what? That's funny. You mentioned Chase a while ago. We we were thinking about um, meeting with an artist, and and he said, "Man, I had an interaction with him. Just not interested." And and he wasn't. It was it wasn't a direct interaction. It was a like I was part of a conversation that they were part of a kind of like a group conversation. And he's just like just a, a couple of comments and. You know, it just it just didn't feel honoring, I think, to everybody that was in the conversation. And and he's like, I just, you know, there's just there's just no no need for that. I would say I try to see if they have a balanced lifestyle. Like if they're all in on this entertainment business and and this is what they want to do and this is what they're gonna do, and you know, no matter what, and they're you know, they're gonna you know, they'll work 24 seven, you know, whatever, whatever, like those are all good, good things to hear. You know, I want that as a manager, but you know, okay, that's great. But are you doing that to the detriment of your finances? Are you doing that to the detriment of your physical, you know, self, your, your mental you know, health, your spiritual health? Like you have to be balanced because I use the analogy of getting, you know, if you're an artist, try to get your own plane in the air, you know, write your own songs. And if, if you get your own plane in the air and then here comes a label to strap jet engines onto your plane, if, if you're not, if you're not well balanced, then your plane's going to disintegrate the second that they light those jet engines, you know, financially, you're going to blow up, you know, mentally, you're not going to be able to handle it spiritually. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not grounded physically. You can't, you know, handle the grueling, you know, pace that, that the, that the road will throw at you. And so, you know, I just, I just really look for a balanced lifestyle, someone that, you know, whenever they, they come to town, they're like, okay, well, let's, let's meet after my morning workout. And, you know, just little things like that of just knowing that they, they, they do, they are trying to, to, to have a balanced lifestyle. And I'm not saying, you know, you got to every day, you got to balance your checkbook and you got to, you know, all that kind of stuff, but at least know how to balance a checkbook, you know, at least, at least spend some quality time, you know, on occasion in the word and at least, you know, exercise every once in a while, you know what I mean? Like, and so if, if you're just all in on music, I, 
you know, again, that goes back to, it's always going to be about you and your music and it's not going to be about anybody else. So you're probably not a good hang to begin with. See ya. So good. I love how you brought that back. So I'm curious then you mentioned boundaries at the beginning of this conversation and now you've mentioned balance. I'm curious, starting up your own management company right when you were entering fatherhood, which happy belated Father's Day, by the way. Thank you. Um, how did you create boundaries? How did you create balance for yourself? I mean, when I, you're I starting say, a business, let alone a management business and fatherhood, that, that's got to be tricky. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't do it right all, all along the way. Uh, I, I definitely made mistakes and you know, we could probably have a whole session with my wife about, oh yeah, and he did this, and oh yeah, and he did this, and oh yeah, and this one time, and you know, we we probably have a lot of discussions about some of the things that I didn't do right, but at least I tried to learn from them, you know, and 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 not do it again, you know, wrong two times in a row. Um, but I do remember Andy Stanley one time. I heard him do a you know a preach or do a podcast or something. And he said, spend as much time planning coming home from a business trip as you spent planning the business trip. Wow. Yeah, right? And and that kind of stopped me in my tracks because, you know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, when I get home, I'm going to grab the ball. We're going to go shoot some hoops with my son. Or I'm going to, you know, go spend some time playing Barbies upstairs with my daughters or, you know, whatever. And, yes, I play Barbies. So don't <laughs> don't even start with me. Um, but you know, just you were always just, Ken though, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, just, uh, just, you know, more than that, like spend some actual time, like, okay, what are some shows y'all could watch if, you know, it's bedtime or what are some books, you know, that you want to, you know, you want to read with your, with your kids or, you know, maybe a, a place to go to that weekend, you know, to let's go to, you know, research Thomas, the tank engines coming to town, you know, and get tickets and, you know, get good tickets. Don't get last minute tickets. And I mean, my wife always crushes me and all that because I'll find out about it. And she's like, yeah, here's your two tickets to the front row, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow. So she's always way ahead of me, which is, you know, a great, a great problem to have. But, um, you know, like, don't, like, I've been to everything. I've been to Barney. I've been to, you know, just about everything you, know, you can think of. And I, uh, I always had a couple of, you know, emergencies in my back pocket. And one of them is the train in Thompson station. And I came home one day and my wife was like, they're all yours and y'all aren't staying here. <laughs> so I, I grabbed a bag of Cheetos and, and we went to the train in Thompson station and, you know, we're marching up and down the train tracks and eating Cheetos. And I've got this amazing picture of, all three of my kids who have Cheeto fingers and faces <laughs> and I've got four kids total, but this is back when we only had three and uh, you know, one of them's wearing a princess dress and you know, I mean, it's just, it's a really cute picture oh, and so uh, it was just me, you know, knowing, knowing what the emergency relief button was going to be. And I think God kind of honored that with that picture. And we've had that hanging in our house, you know, for many years. So I can't, I mean, I, I'm, I, I absolutely haven't done it right my whole career. Have I gotten better? Yes. Do I still have it figured out? No. Um, like, you know, I, I think as a, as a man who owns his own management company, um, I'm probably going to always tilt toward business over, you know, making sure the family's, you know, all set up or whatever. But that doesn't mean that I haven't, you know, really spent a lot of time trying to make sure the family's, you know, got, got some vacation time and, and, you know, has some fun things on the books. And, you know, now I've got, I've got my son's married, you know, he's off, he's a flight instructor. I've got two daughters that are doing college. One of them lives in Orlando. One of them lives at home. They're both doing online college. And then I've got a 13 year old that my wife and she loved to, loved to ride horses. And so, you know, putting, putting some of those dreams that, that those, well, my wife and my kids have in front of my dreams, you know, I think that's part of, of being a man and, and being a father and being a husband and, and, uh, you know, finding joy in that, not just doing it begrudgingly, you know, but finding joy in buying another horse. And whenever I'd rather buy a, you know, a boat or whatever, 
I'm, I'm not that good of a fisherman, so don't. You know, I'm just using that as a. As well, an who example, said you had to fish? You can always just ride it around, listen to exactly. some good music. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just trying, you know, trying to put family, you know, first, and and I, I mean, to me, there's no greater joy than helping launch your kids well. And you know, finding out what it is that they want to do, and then and then rallying around them and help them come up come up with plans and and you know places to live. You know, my daughter wants to work at Disney, and so she's got a roommate in a townhome just just north of downtown or uh, just north of Magic Kingdom. And you know, when she's not at camp, she's down there. You know, doing online. I mean, I view her away at college right now. She's just away doing her thing at college. Right. Um. You know, she's she wants to do that. And so I'm trying to help her live live out that dream. And so yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy. It's it's never like, oh, I've got it figured out, you know, boundaries and borders and and where to spend the money and where to spend your time. Like that's a daily, daily thing. But you know, I get up every morning and ask God what I'm supposed to do today and, and I still do that to this day and he helps me with some of those decisions. You mentioned helping your kids and your wife achieve their dreams. The question we always wrap up this podcast with is, are you living the dream? I would say if you look at my life and don't feel like that I'm living the dream, you didn't look very close (laughs) because like, I mean, you know, the things that I've been able to do, the, you know, the awards my artists have won, the places I've been able to travel to, being portrayed in a movie by Trace by Atkins. By Trace Atkins, which we're right. running out of time. We need a part two here so we can cover that. Yeah, I mean, that and and just the success that my artists have had, you know, the uh, and and the fact that the movie came out and I'm still working with Mercy Me and I'm in it and we're still cranking out number ones and we're still selling out arenas. Like, that's kind of the weird part for me because usually when a movie comes out, like Apollo 13, everybody's retired you know, those were the good old days, that kind of thing. And, and we're still right in the middle of it and, and, you know, cranking it out and having fun doing it. But yeah, I mean, I've, I'm absolutely living the dream. Like I'm, I'm the definition of living the dream. Thanks for listening to the Springboard Music Podcast. If there's something that resonated with you in this episode or an episode that you would like for us to create in the future, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at Springboard Music on Instagram.